I've been waiting to say this since like last year. Good morning, Life Center family. Yes. Happy New Year. <laughs> it's been way too long since I've seen most of your faces live and in person and have been tempted to at least give you a handshake or a hug. On Zoom, it's a little hard. We do all do the Zoom wave. We're all like, and we do the over-exuberant wave goodbye and hello and everything like that. But here in person, it is so great to see you, uh, to be with you, and just to worship together. So good morning, and good morning to all you on Zoom. Here is your over-exaggerated wave for you on Zoom as well this morning. Thank you, worship team, for being able to lead us live in worship instead of just watching videos. It's always great to, uh, to experience these moments all together versus like, you know, no, it was pre-recorded at some point in time in the past. You know, those are beautiful moments, but uh, there's something special about being together live. I also like to thank uh, Paul. I don't know, is Paul LaFleche in the house today? There he is. There he is. The whole beard's covered up. I can't even see it underneath there. Uh, thank you, Paul, for your work on the slide outside. If you didn't see, it got featured in one of the local papers. And since then, I think there's just been a daily drive of cars coming by and people checking out the slide and kids going down the slide and experiencing that. So, Paul, we just thank you because I know that's a lot of hours of snow blowing. That's not just a driveway. That's a, the whole yard, you know, that you're snow blowing over there. We want to thank you for your commitment just to uh, help us be a good neighbor and a fun neighbor in the middle of winter. So thank you for that. But this year definitely has been a trying one, hasn't it? And we're not out of the woods quite yet, but maybe just maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel, you know, whether that's in uh, vaccines or a change in the weather and a change in habits. Maybe we just we might be beginning to see a finish line ahead of us and calling this year, though, uh, trying for some, though, would be an understatement. What some people have had to go through this year has been painful. There's been fear, confusion, misunderstanding, isolation, definitely. There's loss in the middle of this year, brokenness, exhaustion. Even when you're sitting at home feeling like you're not doing anything, you're just exhausted by what we're going through. There's suffering and, of course, like I said, pain. And so many moments in this year that have caused us to lift our eyes in that pain towards heaven and pray. And it's in the midst of that praying and pain that our relationship with both God and that pain unfolds. It's in the midst of feeling that pain and trying to figure out how to express it and what to do with it that our relationship often, like, it hangs in the balance of how we're going to respond in those moments. Peter Scazzaro said this. He says that suffering and pain usually affect people's relationships with God in one of two ways. Sometimes we go bitter or angry towards him for seemingly abandoning us. And at other times, our afflictions drive us to a new dependence and humility before God that deepens our walk with him. 
I know that's true in my life. There's moments where my cry out to God makes me feel like walking away, you know, like in an argument, and you just feel like you're, you're making, your, you're stating your case, and you're making your point, and you just want to like put it down and walk away, and I'm like, like, that's it. I'm like, I made my point, and so there, you know, and you want to walk away from God, and other times where it just feels like you just need to get closer and you need to get closer and you can't quite get close enough to God in the midst of what you're dealing with. Well, there's a prophet in the Old Testament of the Bible named Samuel. Now, Samuel, he was a man of God and he was used to anoint kings and speak to the people of Israel on God's behalf. And he really was a unique and uh, godly individual. And when you read through his life, he was the last uh, judge prophet before uh, Israel had its kings, right? And and he was a very spectacular man in the storyline of God moving amongst his people. And his story, though, it starts with his mother, Hannah, who was praying in pain. You see, Hannah, she was married to a man named Elkanah, but she was unable to have children. And as a result of that, even though her husband loved her deeply, he took a second wife in order to be able to have children and carry on his lineage and, uh, you know, have an inheritance for his children and his family name to go on. And his second wife was Penina. And she, bear, she bore uh, Elkanah children, but more than that, because she was able to have children, and maybe because uh, Elkanah really loved Hannah, even though she wasn't able to, to give him any children, she mocked Hannah relentlessly for her ability to have children versus Hannah's inability to have children. And Hannah lives each day facing this truth of what is not present in her life, what can't be accomplished, what she can't produce, and what she feels is a part of her purpose and yet is not able to actually live out that purpose. And more so, it's being rubbed in her face daily uh, that she can't live out this purpose. And for you, for us today, it, it maybe it is a child like that. Maybe it's a spouse or obedient kids, or a career, or the loss of a loved one, where like Hannah, each day, what you face is not present in your life. One of those things is, is missing, or not the way it should be. Maybe you have a prodigal son or daughter, or, or a spouse in the relationship that was there isn't there anymore, or the way you're dealing with career or the lack of the career you're looking for, the loss of a loved one has left you feeling that gap, that, that open space, and it's not present in your life. And you may not have a, a panina in your life that's openly mocking you daily, rubbing in your face what you cannot do. But little comments here and there remind you of the truth well enough. The, the fact that they're not there, the fact that you're, you're dealing with the situation that you're dealing with in and of itself reminds you. And don't we know that we have an accuser that constantly wants to remind us of all of those things and use them as lies against us to try to tear us down and to make us feel less than God wants us to be. 
And here's how uh, she felt in the middle of this. In 1 Samuel 1, 7 to 8, we read this. So it went on year by year. This isn't just a momentary thing. This isn't just a a season of, of life. This is year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord... Because each family would have to travel to uh, the place of worship every year. They had to go up multiple times every, every year. The, the men and their families would have to present themselves at the temple three, at least three times for worship. Every time she would go up to the house of the Lord, she, she would, used to provoke her. Penina would provoke Hannah. And therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? First of all, what a typical husband response, isn't it? (laughs) What a guy. What a guy sitting there. Am I not like 10 sons to you? No grace, no, no awareness of the situation in that moment, is there? He's just thinking that he's all that in a bag of chips. Oh, there's a lesson for us men in there, isn't there? Of course, of course. But still, but still, he loved her greatly. That's more his point, is that he loved her and he, he like made sure that she was taken care of. And even though she couldn't give him any, any heirs, any children, he, he, did, he did love her greatly. But the point is, is that every time they'd go up, she was reminded of her barrenness. She was reminded of what she could not do. Of how it, Part of how she wanted to return that love, she could not do so. And it would cause her to weep and to cry and to fast and to, to lose her hunger. In these two verses, we can hear that wrestle in Hannah's heart and in ours when we pray in pain. See, the pain of the present mixed with the cry for contentment. That pain in the present that's, that's real. And, and yet there's this cry, not, not just to give me what I want, but just to be content. Just to have that it is well with my soul feeling in our lives. Where there's just that aching for that. And the pain just robs us of that in the moment. And it's in this place where Hannah chooses what she alone can choose to do for herself. She turns to God in her pain. And she prays. Just like us, we have that choice. Like we said earlier in the quote we, from Peter Scazzaro, we have an option of what we want to do, where we want to turn in our pain. And one of the times when she does this, at the house of the Lord, Eli was the, was the priest at the moment, and he took notice of this. And it says in 1 Samuel 1, 12 to 13, And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. And therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. To which she responds, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. You can hear it. 
You can see it. I imagine if she was here in this building, it would be somewhere on these steps right at the front of the, of the stage here where she would be down on her knees and she'd be praying and she'd be calling it to God and we'd be able to look over and see her in her private moment, her lips moving but not hearing what she is saying but knowing that there is something painful that she is wrestling through. And it's in that moment that Eli thought she was something different. It was in that moment he didn't understand the travail of her heart. And in between these verses of of 13 and 16, Hannah prays a desperate prayer to God, saying, God, if you grant this request, son, that which I want most, I will fully entrust you. It's in this place of surrender where she's there before God, crying out with the pain of her heart that she would be heard. It's kind of this not my will but yours be done moment where all she's doing is laying herself before God saying, this pain is too much. I don't know what to do with it. We, We may look at it and try and see that she's trying to make a deal here. God, if you do this, then I'll do this. But it's it's out of this pain and out of this desperation that she's just longing to see this purpose in this place of her life filled. It's this place of surrender, I said, like I said. Miraculously, Hannah conceives a son. And she calls him Samuel, meaning I have asked for him from the Lord. And part of, part of her prayer was that she would return Samuel to the house of the Lord so he could serve God there. And after he was weaned, she presents Samuel to Eli the priest again to be raised in the house of the Lord. And then she prays this profound prayer, one that is so different than the mouthing one that she did earlier in pain. This time it was out loud. The entire prayer is powerful, but the beginning of it, we just want to just, just hear a highlight of what she prayed. In 1 Samuel 2, 1 to 2, it says this, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. What an amazing prayer. What an amazing response to, to what would have been uh, maybe a year earlier or two years earlier or prayer that was, that was mouthed, that was so deep and aching in her heart that she couldn't even use words to express it. But that it was just this, this anxious heart, this crying out that called out to God. And here she boasts. She boasts not in front of Penina of being like, see there, God did honor me and and like shows you a thing or two. Instead, she boasts in the Lord of, of the salvation of the offering that he has given her, that there is none like him, that he was her rock, that he is her rock. Because you'd think in the midst of being able to have Samuel, in the midst of being able to have this child, she'd be like, I am not letting that boy out of my sight as long as I live because he's a special gift from God to me. And, you know, he's going to be mama's boy and it's just going to be this wonderful relationship I have with him. But no, she returns him to the temple and honors God and worships God by releasing him back to the God who gave her to him. So beautiful. Now, here's the thing. With Scripture, 
with our walk with God, we have to be careful not to look for formulas but to admire faith. There's no formula here that you can grab onto and say, okay, so if I go to God and I mouth a prayer and not say a prayer and if I really need it in my heart and I make a deal with God, then he's going to give it to me and I just got to honor that deal with God. We don't look for a formula here. We don't look for something to say, okay, my pain, I need my pain solved. I need this issue solved. I'll make a deal with God and then he can come and answer. It's not like that. But what we do look at is the faith that she comes to God with. And we admire that faith that she has. And we choose to walk in that faith. You see, our faith is rooted in who God is. While we boldly ask God for what only he can do. Our faith isn't in what the answered prayer may be. Our faith is in the God who actually can answer that prayer. You remember, suffering and pain will drive us away to bitterness and anger or guide us to dependence and humility in God. There is no middle ground. We choose to either go towards him or to turn away from him. So today we can ask ourselves this, where is suffering or pain or unanswered prayer driving us? When you look at what you're going through and the things that are causing your heart, that pain and that suffering, the things that cause you to to cry out and, and to pray without even words, what is it doing to you? Is it calling you closer to God or is it driving that bitterness and that anger into the relationship? And maybe it makes you ask this question like it makes me ask, why would God allow Hannah and sometimes us to reach this point? Why does he allow us to get to these points in this, where the pain is so real and so deep that there's nothing we can do but just let our hearts cry out? In the New Testament, Jesus tells a story about another widow, just like Hannah. And the story Jesus tells speaks to the heart of praying and not losing heart. Let's read it in Luke Chapter 18. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while, he refused. But afterwards, he said to himself, though I neither fear God or respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Do you hear that? It's basically a rhetorical question. Do you hear what he's saying about the widow who keeps asking and asking and asking and how he's going to grant her justice if only to shut her up? Hear what he's saying. And he says, And will will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And here's what's so powerful about this story and what is still a challenge for us. That in the space between pain and suffering, 
in the space between what's happened and what we hope that God would do, what we hoped uh, in God would happen, in the space of seemingly unanswered prayer that we, like Hannah, have prayed, Jesus says to each and every one of us, there's only one thing that you can do and only one thing you have to do to take heart to believe. But just like Hannah and the persistent widow, there is power in persistent prayer from a place of genuine poverty. There's power in persistent prayer from a place of genuine poverty. That's a lot of peace. There is, though, this place where we get before God and we just call out to him. And he's not like a, a, a judge who doesn't care. That's not his character or his personality at all. And so if a judge who doesn't care is willing to, to grant justice, even for his own peace, how much more is a loving and gracious God going to want to grant justice, bring answer, and console our hearts? How much more will he want to do that? The widow represents one who is poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, and we know that phrase. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Basically, that's someone who is bankrupt unless the judge rules in her favor. And we come to God poor in spirit and saying, God, we need you. The only asset that she had was her persistence in making her her petition to the judge. And that's all we have too, isn't it? We have no power to bring change. There's no formula, again, that we can do this to force God's hand to do that. Instead, all we do is come with faith and persistence and make our requests known before God. This is what she has. This is what we can have, that unwavering persistence. But what makes us stop praying? What is the trap of the enemy in this place where we bring our petitions to God and maybe we don't get the answer right away that we are looking for. We don't have that solution come. The pain doesn't seem to resolve in our lives. And what is it that causes us to then stop? It's this, that if in our hearts we believe that God doesn't care, or if not answered as we like, that God is unjust. And then we stop praying. Some, for some reason, we feel like we needed an answer by this time. We create a timeline that God needs to answer our prayers by. And if he doesn't answer our prayers by that time, then we're like, I'm done praying for it. That's it. You know, or we believe that God is unjust and we, and we believe these lies that God, God made it for us. He wants us to deal with this pain. He's inflicting this pain on us because he's punishing it or he just doesn't care. And he's a ruthless God. We stop. But we got to remember in this story, Jesus goes to great lengths, great lengths to show us a judge who neither fears God nor respects others. There's nothing good or caring or empathetic within this judge. And yet this judge, only because he was bothered so much, grants the widow's request. He says that to juxtapose who God is to us. Because he is saying, asking us to take heart, to have faith that God, our Father, is nothing like this judge. 
that our prayers, our cries day and night are never a nuisance to our heavenly father because Jesus, through Jesus, each and every one of us become the apple of God's eye. That Jesus loved and cared for us so much that he was willing to have Jesus come and be that sacrifice to restore that relationship with us. And if God would go to such great lengths in order to restore relationship with us, it was not so then he could just ignore us in that relationship. It was not so that he could torment us in that relationship and have us feel this pain and suffering without any solace from him, without any answer from him. Unanswered prayer can make us believe that God is not good, not just, not loving, not caring. And as a result, our love can grow cold towards him. And that's what Jesus was saying in the parable. Don't let our hearts grow cold. Don't let our hearts turn against God. Don't let that persistence in prayer and bringing our request before him be, be the life sucked out of them because we believe something about God that isn't true. Forget trying to pray perfect prayers, perfect formulas, and and earn God's favor through how we pray. And just focus on trusting and praying with persistence. If the prayers of a woman could be answered when she wasn't even articulating it with words, when it was only her heart and her soul groaning out to God, then we can trust that God can hear our prayers. As, as ineligible as the words or uh, misunderstood as the words may be, God hears our cries. Pray that God will give you the courage in the face of an unanswered prayer to trust that in the middle of this mystery of what he didn't do or hasn't answered us the way we thought he would, that it is never that God is unloving or uncaring towards you. And here's the thing, we don't need to take uh, my words for it. We look at what Jesus said himself in this situation. In Luke 18, 7 to 8, he says this, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when, this, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith on earth? Will he find us persistent in our prayer, having faith that he is the one who can answer us? He is the one who will be there for us no matter what. Do we have that type of faith just to cry out to him? And not only do we have to listen to Jesus give us that encouragement and give us that that insight and give us that teaching just to keep calling out to God. Jesus lived this himself. Jesus lived this himself. As Jesus approached his imminent arrest, torture, and death, he, just like Hannah and the widow, went to the Father with persistent prayer. In Matthew 26, we read of Jesus going to his Father in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says this, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death, Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, 
If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What a sweet assurance we have that our Savior knows the travail of our hearts, that he too knows praying in pain. And we don't take solace in him experiencing pain. Rather, though through knowing pain and still submitting to the Father, he offers us a path to follow and he consoles us as we experience our pain. Jesus knows what it's like to face something that is extremely painful. He knows what it's like to go to God, the Father, and say, can you help me deal with this? Is there any other way to get around this? Is there some way we can get to where we want to go where I don't have to experience this pain? And yet he submits to his Father, not your will, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus walks with us when we deal with our pain. He knows it deeply. He shares it with us when we walk in our pain. And when we pray in our pain, he prays in pain on our behalf as well. But Jesus knew his obedience and his faithful walking out was an act of our Heavenly Father's love. And that even as we consistently walk out what God has in front of us, we know it's our Father's love that He does what He does. And that He doesn't do things out of hate for us or out of spite or out of anger towards us, but He loves us. And yet when we don't understand why we deal with the things we deal with, we say, God, but not my will, but yours be done. That you would lead me and guide me through this no matter what. And so like Hannah and the widow in the story, in pain, we don't stop praying. Like Samuel, we are all a part of somebody else paying, praying through pain. Each one of us, Maybe there's somebody in your family or somebody you're not even related to that in pain was praying for you, that was calling out on God for your behalf, on your behalf, that you would have your answer to prayer, that, that you would be an answer to prayer, that you would come to know God. And I'm sure so many of us here have prayed in pain for others. And we've seen the result of those prayers answered. And so we keep on praying. Though more pain may come, we know the God we serve and how much he loves us. And so when we can't fully understand, Jesus says, fully trust unanswered prayer is never because we serve an unloving God. When we can't fully understand, Jesus reminds us to fully trust Unanswered prayer is never because we serve an unloving God. Oftentimes that unanswered prayer, it's kind of a hard saying because it's not that God doesn't answer the prayer. It's just not the answer we wanted or the answer we, we were hoping for or the way it was brought about wasn't the way we wanted it. We wanted our healing 
here, now, in the immediate. And sometimes God's healing doesn't come until we're with him face to face. We don't understand that all will be made whole again. All will be brought to that, that the, uh, remade, made new again. And yet we want it now. And sometimes in his love, he's like, it's just not yet. Or you will be. And we trust. We have to trust in those moments. It's not because he's unloving at all when we don't understand. So how do we do this? How do we persist in this? How do we move forward? I have a little acronym off of prayer for you uh, to help you remember. How do we walk forward? And the first thing is this, persist. The P is persist in humble dependence on God. No matter where you're at, no matter what situation you're in, persist in humble dependence on God. Make sure you're aligning yourself to be depending on God, that you know who is your rock. Just like Hannah's prayer, we know who our rock is. We know where our salvation comes. And even in those unanswered times, we will live in humble dependence on him. The R, resist. Resist the roots of bitterness and anger. Because even in those moments of trying to humbly depend on God, there's those, those roots of bitterness and anger that are just waiting to be watered. It's like that seed we can't get rid of. It's like dandelions nowadays, right? You can clear your lawn out of dandelions, and tomorrow you look, and there's all these little yellow dots in your lawn again, and you're like, where did they come from? It's just like that where anger and bitterness want to take root, and they just need a little bit of water in our, in our hearts to take hold. And so we resist those roots of bitterness and anger. The third one, ask for what is on your heart. Just keep asking for what is on your heart. And the fourth, the why, yield to God's loving will. Yield to God's loving will. And that's how we pray. Persist in humble dependence. Resist the roots of bitterness and anger. Ask for what is on your heart and yield to God's loving will. And when we pray like that, when we pray either in pain or in perseverance with persistence out of that place, even when it feels like there's nothing left, like we said earlier, or even with that other P word, poverty, when it feels like we are bankrupt inside of us, we have nothing left, we just keep going to God with it. We pray and yield to him in his loving will. Bruxy Cavey says this, he says, whatever it is that anger and outrage are helping you to accomplish, love will do a better job. Whatever anger and outrage are helping you to accomplish, love will do a better job. Isn't that the truth? Sometimes we find that that bitterness and that anger take root in our lives, and then we use that as a motivation to, to try to move through things in life. And that becomes a part of how we accomplish things. Uh, and that's how the world, we look at the world, and how does the world try to accomplish things? Outrage, anger, bitterness towards a perceived threat or problem. And they use that to try and like force the change but it's always better accomplished through love. Love does the better job. And so as we look to love more like Jesus, sometimes we do that in the midst of pain and praying through that pain and trusting 
But there's a loving God that does have answers for us. That whatever situation we're facing, whatever pain that's in our lives, when we look at the world around us and it grieves us and it causes us pain and we want to bring solution to it and we want to we make the world a better place and we want to... Uh, we want to be more like Jesus and we want to try and affect change in a positive way. And we have this choice between rage and bitterness and anger versus, versus love and pers- persisting in prayer. Let's choose love. Let's choose that humble dependence on God. Let's choose resisting bitterness and anger. Let's choose asking for what we need and yielding to God's loving will. Let's pray. Let's do that now. Why don't we just pray? God, we just thank you. We thank you for when our heart cries out and we don't even know what to say. We don't know how to interpret and and work through the pain that's on our hearts, the situations that we're going through. It leaves us in these places, in these moments where all that's there is just this anguish and hurt to cry out with. And God, whether our our, our lips are moving and we're not saying anything and our hearts are crying out to you for a prayer, for an answer, for a solution, for healing, for reconciliation or restoration, for a connection and a reunification, for whatever it is, God, that we're longing for, that's on our hearts, that causes us pain. God, may we continue to come to you in prayer. May we find ourselves depending on you in humility. May we find ourselves resisting the roots of bitterness and anger that can corrupt our hearts and cause our outlook on the world and on you to change. May we continue to ask for what's on our heart and yield to your will being done and knowing that you are that true and loving God. Jesus, we thank you that we don't walk this alone. That in you, we have a Savior that knows pain, who knows the travail of our hearts, and who walks with us in the midst of it and consoles us. Even when we think we're alone, we are never alone because you are there with us. So God, I just thank you. And I pray that as we look to you and lean on you and learn to love more like you, even in our pain, we'll be drawn closer to you in that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.